if you can identify, yes, I'm physically attracted, and yes, they listen to me, that to me is chemistry, and that's enough to move on to the next date. Wow. I love that. Welcome to Love These Days by Pop Sugar, a brand new podcast sponsored by Creighton Barrow Wedding Registry that tackles all the ways that the last year has changed relationships. Because it's safe to say a lot has changed. I'm Jenna Ushkowitz. And I'm her fiance, David Stanley. And no, I'm not a celebrity, just a regular guy. <laughs> well, this week we're tackling the new joys and milestones, as well as trials and tribulations that come with love and marriage in a post-2020 world. Trials and tribulations? I didn't Sign up for that. The point is that even though engagements and weddings look different right now, we believe that with the right attitude, love can still conquer all. That's why we'll be chatting with experts about how to adapt and thrive when it comes to relationships, merging finances, and event planning. Let's get to it. Paul Brunson is a former investment banker and has been a matchmaker for over 10 years. Okay, I'm going to need to hear more about that career transition. Well, he and his wife ran a successful matchmaking agency for 10 years before selling it in 2016. He's currently the host of two TV shows in the UK, Celebs Go Dating and Married at First Sight UK. Celebs Go Dating, is that what you called our first date? <laughs> Very funny. This episode of Love These Days by Pop Sugar is sponsored by Crate and Barrel Wedding Registry. Pots and pans, cooking and cabernet, Sundays and sleeping in. Make your home undeniably yours with a Crate and Barrel Registry. Paul, welcome. <laughs> Jenna, David, what is up? <laughs> so great to have <laughs> you. Oh man, we're so excited to have you and to uh, chat with you today. Yeah, I tell you, this this is uh, this is really an honor, and I love talking about love. And from what I understand, you two are in love. <laughs> That's the word on the street. That's what they tell us. That's what we've heard from various sources. <laughs> really? Now, now I'm, I'm assuming you both have told each other that you love each other, correct? Very quickly. Um, <laughs> David, Enough times to make other people blush. Yes. Uh, David actually, um, you know, threw me on our like, I must have been a month into dating and um, just told me he was like madly in love with me on our like sixth date or something like that. And the rest was history after that. But um, we have told each other we love each other. We tell each other every day. Um, and, uh, you know, just a little background. We can give you the the background on, uh, on how yeah. we met, if that's helpful. Okay. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> David, David, do you want to give him the... We uh, are a hinge success story. It was Jenna's very first and last date on Hinge. Uh, it was not my first or last date. Ooh. I'd been on for a while. And the funny part for us was I instantly recognized Jenna because I'd seen Glee. I'd actually watched the first couple of seasons and been a big fan of the show. And so when I first saw her, I was like, is this actually her? Like, is this some sort of a catfishing situation? But it turned out, in fact, to be her. Spoiler alert, it's me. <laughs> that's a good thing <laughs> although we never actually matched uh i slid into her dms without even matching basically we we talked on the dating app for probably four hours on text before we um even met at all uh, and then we moved outside of the dating app we traded numbers um i think david still was questioning whether it was me or not um and then we met very quickly after probably Probably a week. And there is some controversy as to who asked whom out. Is that right, David? That's a very great use of him. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So basically, uh, you know, we, we deleted the apps together and we don't have any evidence of the chat that we had. And we met at this restaurant in Los Angeles. We went out, we had like snacks and drinks and really good conversation, which ironically, this psychic that I had met a couple of years before told me that the man I was going to marry was the best conversationalist I would ever meet. Um, that actually rang true and is still true. And the date ended up being about seven hours long. Uh, we went to three different spots and the rest was kind of history. We we consistently saw each other within, you know, a couple of days after and then a couple of days after. And then that was, and then he told me he loved me and that was it. So that's our story. <laughs> that's story. I, and, and how long ago was that? Oh, that was two and a half years ago. 
two and a half years ago. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. All right. So, I, so that's I love our it. story. But more importantly, we want to talk about you, Paul. Uh huh. Okay. So okay. you are named the most influential matchmaker in the world. I mean, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty big shoes to fill. <laughs> and you had so many different careers before that. I'm just curious, like, what made you realize you were good at matchmaking? What made you love matchmaking and wanting to make it a career? Yeah. Can I say though, Jenna and David, I love your story. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely love your story. Um, and I have lots of questions, but I will answer your question, Jenna, for sure. Thanks, um, I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I adore love, you know, I adore matchmaking. And in my previous career, I was in investment banking, which I consider the greediest career in the world. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, so yeah, by, by day I was doing that. But at night I ran uh, a nonprofit organization and, you know, I am Jamaican, so I do have 10 jobs. Uh, and uh, <laughs> the, uh, the nonprofit was just one of those 10, but in this nonprofit, what I did is I taught math and science and reading to kids who were coming from low income households in, in, in Washington, DC. And in this particular project that I was doing, this is the summer of 2008, we had 100 kids in our program. And the first question I would ask the kids when they would enroll is, how many parents live in your household, right? How many parents live in your household? Mm -hmm. And do you know that out of 100 kids, not one had two parents? Wow. Not one. And what was really interesting is most of the people, whether it was a, you know, a uh, you know, little guy, little girl, right? They only lived with women for the most part. So they lived mm -hmm. with like auntie or mom or grandma. And so- mm -hmm. That really weighed on me. It really weighed on my soul. And I would go back, you know, home from the camp and I would, you know, talk to my wife about it. And we decided to come up with this idea of, you know, let's just hook up all the, all the moms, you know, <laughs> let's just get all the aunties together, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and it's, it sounds crazy, but that's pretty much what we did. Like we, my wife and I, at that time, we started hosting these parties at these single parties at our house. And by the wow. end of the that's first amazing. summer, yeah, it was so cool. So cool. Um, by the end of the first summer, there was a couple who had met pre, like at the beginning of the summer, by the end, they were engaged. And so we thought there was some kind of special sauce. So, you know, I put my business cap, put my greedy investment <laughs> banker cap back on. Uh, and I was thinking, let me just sell this idea. I'm just going to sell it, you know? And I didn't yeah. even know there was such thing as a matchmaker. And I found out that there was this matchmaking conference that was being held in New York. And I, I went to the conference and this is uh, 2009, went to the conference. Wow. My, my, yeah. My, my plan was just to sell the idea. And I sat in this room with 250 of the world's top matchmakers. And it just really hit me that I could do this and I wanted to do this. And, and I had a special POV, you know, um, mm. so that's exactly how it started. I quit my job and, and the rest is history. That's fascinating. I also love that because like the things that you love and, you know, loving love and finding a passion and then making it your actual job for as long as you did is, is just so cool. Um, what was your interest? What was your uh, unique perspective that made you a really good matchmaker? You know, I, I love that question, Jenna, because, you know, the matchmaking industry is interesting. Actually, let, let me ask you both a question if I could. Okay. Okay. Go for it. How many full-time matchmakers do you believe are there in the United States? Ooh. David, I feel like you'd be really good at this statistic. I feel like it's got to be not that many. Um, it's such a specialized profession, but at the same time, you do see ads a lot for Full-time, though. Full-time. That's yeah. different. That's true. Okay, I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess 300. Ooh. I'm gonna go with 500. Ooh, ooh. Okay, David is freaking. He's freaking me out right now because it's 250. <laughs> I told you he's very good at statistics. He was also a math and history teacher as a um, in his former profession. So you guys have a lot in common. Wow, David, man, I, I'm in love with you, man. <laughs> I'm in love with you now. I'm, I'm, I'm hey, here Paul, for you, Paul, watch out. Okay. <laughs> Back off. 
<laughs> well, I don't know how you just did that, but yeah, there's 250. And out of the 250, it's nearly all women. And out of the 250, it's nearly all women over the age of 40. And at the time, not one was African American. And so, I was just going to ask. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I sat there and I thought to myself, my God, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a male, you know, I'm under the age of 40. Uh, I'm, I'm black. You know, I think I'm black, you know, one of those where <laughs> I, um, wow. yeah. And, and that was the uniqueness. That was the uniqueness. Paul, I'm going to let you ask us a question since you said you had so many. Oh man. I, I, are, are you ready? Are you ready for I'm me? Re- bring it, bring it. We're ready. Okay. So you, you both said that you deleted the Hinge app, right? Shortly Correct. thereafter meeting. What date was that, that you deleted the app? I want to say that was a month and a half in, a month, month and a half. Which uh, has got to be date like 500 at that point. We were seeing each other so often. It was right before the trip when you told me you loved me. So it was like a month. Month. Okay. So we, it must, that must have been not date nine, date 10, something like that. Date nine, date 10. Okay. And then at that point, did you know, so David, did you know this was the woman that you wanted to marry? Pretty much. Yeah. And it's funny to reflect back on that because, you know, when I said, I love you, or I said, I'm madly in love with you. It was just, it was a feeling. It was a feeling that I had. And it came out during a great dinner, a really romantic dinner. I didn't pre-plan it, but it just came out in a really kind of organic, authentic way. And I think in saying that, I knew the consequence of what I was saying. And I felt very much that that was the case. Ooh, ooh. Now, Jenna, how did you respond? Did you say that you love David or did you wait a little bit? I did. I did say it back. I was definitely taken aback, but it's not something that I hadn't thought about or felt. Um, knowingly. So I, I just figured, you know, my, my past relationships, past experience, and, you know, probably the minority, like we, we feel like you, you're like begging for the person to finally say it or to not have to be the first one to, to say that. Right. So um, for me, it was like, I felt so lucky um, that he was just so vulnerable and like willing to to express how he felt so early on um, because I felt the same way. And I kind of, we, kind of functioned in the same way along, you know, the whole trajectory of our dating experience. My very first reaction was I laughed. Um, I giggled. <laughs> you did. I remember that well. It was a great, it was a really, inde- it wasn't like a mocking laugh though. It, no. was, a, it was a beautiful, you know. The mocking laughs came later. Yeah, it was, it was completely, yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh my oh, God. Man. You know, you know, what's really interesting to me about that. I mean, already I could tell that you two are a strong couple. Um, because so typically men are the first to say, I love you. Wow. Yes. Yes. And it's interesting because David said, I love you, right? To, to, to you, Jenna. Mm -hmm. And then Jenna, you immediately saw how vulnerable he was. And it was probably in that moment that you, you know, your, your love for him cemented. Definitely. Yeah. That's real. <laughs> okay, Paul. So I have a I have a question for you now. I'm turning I'm turning the tables back. Okay. Um, so what do you, what do you tell your clients to pay attention to on a first date? Like, bef- what's the the kind of like pep talk you give your client before they go out on their first date? You know, t- to me, you, you know, I think we put so much pressure on first dates. So much. Even, you know, and David, you will appreciate this. Here's some data um, <laughs> on the numbers that, you know, the average person spends roughly $250 on the first date, right? So that could be getting hair done, new outfit. It could be yep. a dinner, like all of this, mm-hmm. right? So you think about how much stress we put ourselves under, you think about the cost, et cetera. But what I like to do is I, I like to say, look, just chill, right? And I think the focus needs to be on trying to identify chemistry in the first date. Now, chemistry is a word that's used often, but very few of us truly know what the equation to chemistry is. 
And to me, it's really just two things. It's A, did the person listen to me, right? That's the Mm. underlying key ingredient to strong communication is like, I know that you're hearing me, but are you listening to me, right? The words coming in, analytically thinking about it, that's one. So listening. And then the second is, do I feel a physical connection? Am I physically attracted to you? Hmm. And if you can identify, yes, I'm physically attracted and yes, they listen to me, that to me is chemistry and that's enough to move on to the next date. But if you don't have one of those two things, my strong suggestion to my clients is don't even go to the next date. Wow. I love that. And I love that because chemistry is so often defined as the undefinable, right? And so you're actually breaking it down into concrete things that people can think about and look for um, and thinking about how to really quantify or just feel and have a sense of what that means. I love that. Definitely. David, David, actually on our first date, we both, um, you know, we had a really good conversation um, and we dove pretty deep into our pasts, which like doesn't always happen. And um, I remember David would always kind of bring something I said earlier back around into the conversation later. And I was like, check, check, <laughs> like he was just like, you know, checking all the boxes. So listening was, was really paramount to us um, in you know, when we were first dating and now, um, obviously. So, And I love that too, because a, a hallmark of good listening is also good questions, right? It's not just hearing, right? But it's, it's really processing and then sort of feeding it back, right? And Absolutely. That. Absolutely. And, and I'm assuming you, you two had strong physical attraction as well. Definitely. Absolutely. I was obviously physically attracted to him, but like the more emotionally attracted to him, I became the more physically attracted to him. I became as well. Yes. Not that you're not hot, David. And vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a, Paul, I think that's a really good point because when you, especially in dating on an app, you can look at somebody, right, through pictures, through things you see on social media and feel attracted in some way. But I think when you actually meet somebody in person, people become more or less attractive based on that engagement, based on that listening, right, based on that rapport. Um, And I think for both of us, it was was a very strong increase in attraction uh, as we met and talked. I could imagine it was, it was a hot date, like pheromones going, tone of voice, you know, wine I'm sure was flowing, you know, it's, totally, um, totally. yeah, we yeah, love our, that. we love our wine and the wine uh, <laughs> did very much flow wine and, and uh, but, wine and but cocktails. But not too much. Also, I would, I would probably say like, don't get too drunk on your first date unless it's like a, you know, I, I don't know. Just like, you, you don't want that mess either. <laughs> that is absolutely true. Yeah. You, you know, you know what on that though is, I don't even recommend my clients go on a first date, right? I like to call it a meetup. Mm. You know, I normally tell my clients, because I think volume is important, right? So I always say, you know, try to get off the dating apps quickly, see as many people as you can in person. And when you're seeing lots of people, two, three, you know, people a week, you don't have time for two, three hour, you know, long dinners each time. Instead, meet for 15, 20 minutes over a coffee, tea, that kind of thing. Use that time to assess, do I have chemistry? And then if you do have chemistry, then that's when you move to the date. Yeah, I, I like that. that because it's, it's again, it's like lowering the stakes, right? You're not, you know, in this evening of like spending all this money and doing all these things to work towards this thing that you're not even sure is a surefire thing, right? Yes. And I love that because it takes, you know, you often know when you meet somebody on a first date, at least in my experience, pretty quickly, right? If you're feeling some of that chemistry or not. So that sort of allows you to do that in a pretty short, low pressure situation. Yeah. Um, I, have a, I have another question for you, speaking of advice. So as you're thinking about advising your clients, what is the best advice that you have for using dating apps like Jenna and I did to find the right partner? And when you said getting off dating apps quickly... Um, tell us more about how you advise your clients to get off the apps quickly and proceed uh, into actually meeting. Yeah. So, so th- th- this is popular in terms of a question because we are literally living in a day and age where there are over a hundred million people on dating apps all over the world, right? What? Yes. All over the world. I mean, it, it, is, it is absolutely crazy. And, and every niche you could think of, there's an app out here for everyone, but where we often get confused is 
dating app is a misnomer. It's not a dating app, right? It's a meeting app, but it's not a dating app. And the big issue that I find is that most people never end up meeting. You know, think think of how many oh people. Yeah, I mean, how many people you've struck up a conversation with, and yep. it's gone nowhere. Totally. You know? totally. Yeah, and so I think the first, like David, to your question is, is the first thing is, is let's fully understand that this is a tool to meet people. So treat it as such. So therefore, you shouldn't have three to six month long chats, which is the average amount of time in the United States that people chat on the app. Three, wow. six months. I can't believe that. That is too long. That is crazy. <laughs> exactly. That is too long. It's too long. And, and most people don't even meet. So so right out the gate, you know, my advice is always, okay, treat it as it's a me- meeting app. Make sure that immediately once you connect with someone, move them offline, whether that's to a phone call, whether that's to a Zoom right now, especially because of COVID lockdowns, or whether that's to a quick meetup, but you want to move them offline quickly. So that's number one. That is number one. And then, you know, number two is not to put so much emphasis on the photo. You, you, you know, photos, I did a study with one of the big dating apps or, you know, a survey, but I like to call it a study, dress it up. Uh, but it was a survey. And we found that 97% of the decision to connect with someone was based on the photo, right? Now, 97%, but here's the kicker. When those folks eventually met the person, less than half thought that the person they met looked like the photo. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Do you know how, I I wonder how much time people actually spend like trying to create their profile from all the photos they have from over the years in their archives that are like, girl, that does not look like you anymore. (laughs) But that, that's also like, uh, you know, like long distance reminds me of like when you only tell whoever you're dating long distance, like exactly what you want them to know, right? Because they don't have to see it all. They can only see what what you want them to see. So it's very interesting. I agree. Like, I I think there should be things such as there should be timestamps on dating photos. There should be mm-hmm. <laughs> filter acknowledgement on dating photos. Who, but who wants to really be so misleading that when you meet them, you're like, gotcha. You know, it's not like you're getting married when you meet up. So it just feels like that's like really misleading in a way. And so that's definitely a, a con of the dating apps in this I think time. that's absolutely right. There's an incentive to make yourself look a certain way and you know do certain kinds of things in terms of photos and other things. Is it hard to get your clients to not focus as much on the physical and on the photos when the data shows that 97% of people are making decisions mostly focused oh, yeah. on that quality? And how do you yeah. do that? Yeah, I mean, abs- absolutely. You know, it's, it's one of these where we're being socialized now around the importance of, you know, of the photo. And I think that the key to helping to train us out of this is when people can look at the results of just meeting others in real life, you know? So I always say, just don't overemphasize on the photo. You really want to start to look at things such as, do I have, can I begin to tease out values that connect? And then just generally, is this a person that I want to connect with? Like it's, it, you shouldn't overthink it on the app. And then once you get to the meetup or you get to the Zoom, then at that point, you can ask yourself, okay, you know, did they listen to me? Do I have that physical attraction? Then if the answer is yes, then I can progress. So it's all baby steps. With that, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Planning a wedding in a pandemic is a lot, but there's still one part of wedding planning that should be fun. Not the engagement photos again. (laughs) No, the registry. Crate and Barrel is the place to find timeless pieces you'll love forever. You mean I can finally get that barbecue smoker? We'll talk about that. Whether you're movie buffs, wine lovers, or budding home chefs, Crate and Barrel can help you create a wedding registry that's undeniably yours. 
Plus, they offer one-on-one expertise and sample registries created by real couples that make it so easy to get inspired. The smoker is easy. That's what I've been trying to tell you. Okay, then how about the beer glasses? (laughs) Okay, fine. Let's add it to the registry. While we're on the subject of dating apps, what are some of the things that you would tell people to avoid? What are like some surefire things that you'd be like, avoid that. Don't go on that date. Oh, man. If if you see his photo, he has no shirt on and he's holding cash. Then <laughs> 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 I'll look past that for me, thankfully. <laughs> That was your uh, that was your first photo, right up there, David? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some photos, you know, when, when you see the cutout and you know there was someone else in the photo. Like there, there's certain things <laughs> that you know you should avoid. But you know, quite honestly, if you're looking at this as a meeting app, I say use it to meet as many people as possible. So that's mm-hmm. that's my my big suggestion is 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 don't put a lot of parameters on it. Use these apps to meet as many people as possible. Hmm. I love this formula, Paul, because what you're talking about is using the apps in a lower stakes way, progressing faster to actual meetups, and then talking about hope, right, through multiple options, right, giving people lots of chances, right, in a, in a lower stakes way. I love this concept that you've presented. Yeah, I think that, you know, people undervalue the chance to meet people, the chance to know what you don't want, right? So like even when you go on a first date and it's not quite right, you you can learn from those experiences of what you are really looking for. It like kind of puts things in sharp perspective in a way. So what do people tend to overvalue when it comes to like looking at potential mates and like first dates? Yeah, I mean, you know, the physical, the physicality I think is 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 one of the big ones, but I'll give you a more general that fits perfectly with what you just said, Jenna. And that is that a lot of us don't go on a lot of dates, right? So the average single over the last, so 2018, 2019, the average single literally went on zero dates. Zero. You're kidding. No, zero. And I'm, I, we could even remove COVID lockdown out of those numbers and it's going to be zero. Now, when you start to unpack that, you could see that there's, you know, there about 20% of daters went on about 80% of the dates, right? So a small number of daters go on a lot of dates. Mm-hmm. And also in certain cities, LA, New York, et cetera, right? You see the average is higher. But on average, across the, you know, the United States of America, the average single is going on zero dates. So therefore, when the date actually does eventually happen, then what ends up happening is one of two things. Either one, you basically say, you know what, I have a list of 27 things and he better meet all 27 of these, right? He needs to have, he he needs to have be over six feet, good team, like all, all these things, right? And the moment that one of those doesn't match up, oh, there's a problem. Right. So there's that long list issue that comes up. And then the second is just this whole notion of, you know what? This is my first date. He must not go on a lot of dates. What's wrong with him? Or what's Mm. wrong with her? Why why are they still single, right? So then, then the first date is spent just trying to poke holes and figure out what's quote unquote wrong with that person. Sure. These are two significant issues for a lot of singles on first dates or first meetups. Well, and the notion that people are placing so much value and stakes on the first date, even the word date, I think for our generation feels and conjures up something very weighty and very full of expectations as opposed to thinking about it as a much more casual process of actually meeting somebody in a real life situation. Um, Do you think that people feel like they're compromising when they have to do that? Or is it about coaching them to think about this as, again, these baby steps in a a longer term process? Yeah. I mean, David, brilliant point. It's like, it's too heavy. 
you know, there's too much pressure that we're, we're placing on it. There's too much pressure. I, I even think that society is, is, is placing on it. You know, mm-hmm. when in reality, it's just two people getting together to have a conversation and look at each other. You know what I mean? <laughs> like right. that's, that's that's really all it is. And and there's and there's beauty in just that, you know? And so if we could get out of this zone of this is a date and I'm going to meet my, you know, my wife or my husband for life and then and just say to ourselves, this is an opportunity to connect with a new person who has different experiences than I have. And no matter how this goes, I'm going to learn something. I may learn something about, you know, life. I may learn something about myself, but I'm going to learn something. And because of that, I'm going to become better. Oh my goodness. Then we, we would go on more of these dates. Yeah, it just boosts confidence in a way too. Right? And the world might be a happier place with lots of new people meeting new people, even if not, not ending up together. <laughs> David's yeah. dream. So, Paul, we're going to switch gears here now. We're going to play a little game because Jen and I love games. And we wonder if you'd be a good sport and play along with us. Um, this is one of our favorite games. It's called Would You Rather. Paul, are you ready? I'm all set. Would you rather go on a terrible first date or be stood up? Terrible first date, for sure. I agree. Okay. Meet your future spouse after 30 dating app dates or five long-term relationships? Oh, 30 dates. (laughs) You never know how long those five-term long-term relationships are going to (laughs) take. Yeah, yeah. The the, the long-term relationships, it's emotionally draining. Hmm. And uh, and also, it could be financially draining as well. (laughs) (laughs) And slightly traumatizing as well. So you never know. (laughs) That's true. I was thinking about it in the other way where, you know, you could experience a lot of growth, right? Personal growth during those long-term relationships, but five long-term relationships, that's that's a lot. I hear you, Paul. Five tours of duty, you know, at war. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Okay. Have amazing in-laws that are always around or stressful in-laws that you see twice a year? Oh man, I mean, I have this, you know, I'm not just trying to score points with, with my in-laws, but um, my mother-in-law, because my uh, father-in-law has passed, but my mother-in-law is, you know, one of my besties. Mm-hmm. Like literally from the day we met through to, you know, today, she's one of my besties. And so I love her. And so absolutely to have her around is, you know, it's a blessing. That's really I cute. I love that. That's Besties. <laughs> you better make sure she listens to this. You're like, yeah. I gave you a shout out. And, okay. And you won like 25,000 gold stars there. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Next one. Only register for five gifts that you get to pick yourself or allow your partner to register for an unlimited amount of gifts, but you get no say. Oh, man. This was hard. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm sure you guys are going through this right now. Oh, I know my wife too. Oh man! I, uh, oh, it's all about compromise, Paul. It's all we, about got compromise. we got him. We got him. Oh, you got me. I was going to say, I'll just—I uh, don't know. I flipped the flip a coin on this one. Um, I'd say, go ahead uh, to my wife and say, you take this one. But that's oh. tough. That's that's a hard one. David, what did you just say to that one? Well, of course, I would give you uh, all, all the power and control. I don't know. This is a right tough, answer. This is a tough question, but I, but I do think there's there's some amount of you know it's about trust, right? And and alignment on certain things. And so I think you and I are pretty aligned. And I think I'd give you the I think I'd give you the power. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's the right answer. Um, <laughs> there you go, David. Good okay, another twenty five thousand gold stars earned. That was our game, Paul. But we have one more question for you. So, if you are advising one of your matchmaking couples, successful matchmaking couples, about what to put on their registry, what is the one item you would suggest? Yep. Games, hands down. No question. If it's you only can't see me right I- now, but I my hands are in the air. I'm so excited. We love roots. Oh, awesome. Man, we have game drawers. <laughs> awesome. Yes. That's great. Games are everything because they test Mm -hmm. every emotion they're the ultimate 
kind of conduit for communication. It's imperative, you know. And as my wife and I have, you know, grown older and we now have two boys, we really make sure that we incorporate our boys in game nights, you know. It's games hands down. Like no question about it. Game nights. We've definitely learned a lot about each other through games. I we would surely just have. only say that. <laughs> Not, neither of us are competitive. So um you know, so we've we've definitely learned a lot about each other. But no, we love, we adore games. I think you're so right about the ways in which it just brings people together and allows them to learn about each other. Yes, for sure. So that's the other rule for for your matchmaking couples. The first question you ask on a first date, do you play games? No. <laughs> Non-starter. Non-starter. <laughs> right. Although, although you know what, Jenny, you can say, do you play games? If they say no, then say, well, would you be open to playing <gasps> games with me? Yes. This is why you're the most influential matchmaker. Uh, that was a very teachable moment there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> David, you asked a question earlier about like compromising your feelings. Um, and I just wonder, like, Paul, how soon should you compromise within a relationship? Like, should you be compromising on a first date? Like, how soon should you be doing that? Yeah. You, you know, this this is a good question because, you know, compromise to, to some of us is a dirty word, you know, um, <laughs> whereas to, to others, it's like, okay, you know, let's, let's, let's meet halfway. You know, this is the way I look at it is one of the biggest indicators as to whether or not someone is going to be a good partner to you is their ability to step outside of their comfort zone and to do things that they wouldn't normally do, right? Part of that is compromising, right? Compromising is just lowering a standard. It doesn't mean that you have to lower it below your minimum standard, but it means I'm going to lower my standard. I'm going to, I'm going to change my standard. So mm -hmm. if you are with someone and I'm talking about first date, right? You know, you say, yeah. hey, you know, let's 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 go to so and so restaurant. And you know the person says, Oh, I don't eat at chains. I don't eat at chain restaurants. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't eat at chain restaurants, you know? That tells you all you need to know, you know, immediately. Yeah. Yeah. The willingness to go, you know, far enough to accommodate in some ways. What are some examples of of good and bad compromise? in the context of relationships. It's always good as long as you maintain your standard. So it's always good as long as you understand what your self-worth is, right? And you never go beneath that. This is a big issue, especially with regard to first dates and expectation. Because oftentimes, we think that there's an expectation, right, that would lead to, it's going to lead to a kiss or it's going to lead to something even more than a kiss. And what people end up doing is, is they say, you know, normally I wouldn't do that, but he was cute. So I decided that I would, no, 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 no. You're going beneath your self-worth at that point. That's a compromise that's too far. As mm -hmm. long as you keep it above that self-worth, then at that point, there's no compromise that's off the table. Let me ask you, I'm going to ask you personally, because David and I, I feel like we both have done a lot of work on ourselves and we do a lot of work to better our relationship in day-to-day -day life, right? We and, and with that, like, I love that you kind of brought that into self-love and self-worth as well. It's like David and I compromise, but I think we're willing to compromise because we try to make sure that we both feel heard in any kind of situation where we're, we're definitely like, I hear that and I see what you need and I'm willing to go f that far because I feel like you're also hearing what I need as well. So that's really important. What I sometimes don't feel like I get is when we argue about silverware <laughs> on our registry. So right now we're planning, we're obviously planning our wedding and we have very exciting, you know, little steps that we're taking in the very strange time of COVID. But um, we did start our registry and the other day we were shopping and it was like, I we very quickly realized how different our styles were and we live in the same house. So this was very shocking to me, but like the amount of time 
David, really the amount of time it took you to, to find uh, a silverware that we both could agree on. And there were many options and many beautiful options. There were Okay. So we're looking at this, this <laughs> layout of, of probably 50 different types of silverware, right? Some of them gorgeous. I mean, objectively gorgeous. The fact that we couldn't find maybe one or two that we could agree on was was astonishing, <laughs> you know? And, and so we're like looking at all these pieces of silverware, looking at each other across this little expanse of, of uh, layout and we're thinking, what's going to happen here? Oh, that's really funny. Yeah, is the, yeah. So Paul, really is the question, is this going to break break us over silverware? <laughs> yeah, you, you <laughs> can, we, can we surmount this? No, no, oh. you, you both are doomed. You, you might as well call it quits oh, right now. That's it, David. This is it. Yeah. As you guys were saying that, I was thinking, yeah, it's the paradox of choice, right? It's, there's too many options, you know, but um, all couples are going to fight, right? You know, we call it fighting fair. Uh, you know, I've been married for 20 years and I can tell you that, um, you know, my wife and I have, have, have gone, a matter of fact, my wife and I were going back and forth today on text, you know, so it's uh-huh. really fair. <laughs> this, this, this will always happen. But the real question is, how are you, quote unquote, fighting, right? The biggest indicator that the relationship is going to break up, and this is some really good uh, research by John Gottman, is if you notice contempt in the fighting, right? So when you think about contempt, that's someone who's thinking to themselves, you know, you're, you're you're not even worthy to have this conversation with me, or you're not even worthy to be in my presence as I'm as as we're doing this, right? Someone who shows no respect, no regard for the person that they're arguing, that they're fighting with, right? The moment that you see contempt show up, whether that's contempt in you know in, through the words that are said, contempt in the expression, you know, very dismissive, you know, I'm not even going to talk to you about this, right? You know, that's the moment where you know, okay, we need some professional help here. But if it's you know, if it's almost everything else, if it's a little bit of defensiveness, a little bit of criticism, a little bit like all of that, you'll work through, and you'll work through it because you both can listen to each other. Right. It, it, that's the reason why listening is the foundation to a successful relationship. Definitely. Okay. We've been asking all the questions for a while. So we want to turn the tables to hear what's on the mind of Pop Sugar readers. So let's answer some reader questions. Okay. First one. All right. I've been with my partner for five years and I know I'm in love, but I would be lying if I said I wasn't worried about the reality of starting a, quote, forever life together, signed and dotted. Is this uncertainty a huge red flag, even if I'm otherwise happy? That's a mm. really good question. I don't really even know how question. I would answer that. Yeah, And I'm that, an expert, so. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, no, that's, that's, that's a deep one. You know, that's one that we would have to unpack, I think, a lot more. But just mm-hmm. generally, you know, we're human. We're human. You know, we're, we're, we're going to fear. Um, but the challenge in this question, and I'm being, you know, very blunt, is that normally when you have couples who have been together beyond that two to three year mark mm-hmm. and both of them haven't pushed for marriage or quote unquote commitment, at that point, you begin to see things unravel you know, from a statistic mm-hmm. basis, which is why early in this conversation, I wanted to know how long you two have been dating. Mm-hmm. And from what I, what I recall, I think I heard about two, a little over two years. Right. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yep. Which is right on the money. Here's interesting data, right? We always hear the divorce rate is roughly 50%, right? It's roughly 50%. Oof. But here's a mind blow. If you remove just the people who dated and were engaged for roughly two to three years, their divorce rate is 25%. That's it. Wow. Wow. That is it. So what does that mean? What that means is that the the massive number of divorces are happening in two categories. Either the people who just met last week 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> they're like, I don't know your name yet, but let's do this. And then the people who, unfortunately, this person who's asking the question, people in the, okay, we've been together for six, seven, eight years. May as well. Yeah, let's let, well. might yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I'd be a little concerned. I'd be a little concerned mm-hmm. right now. That is fascinating, Paul. And it's actually, there's a question from another one of our uh, Pop Sugar audience members uh, that is right up the salad. It's the other side uh, of this equation. So I've only been dating my partner for six months, but we are talking about marriage and I've never felt this way before. We're getting a lot of judgment from our friends and our family. Is there such a thing as moving too quickly? Yeah. I have lots of thoughts on this, but Paul, I want to hear yours. (laughs) In terms of the conversation, because one thing is we don't know this person's age who's asking this, right? Mm. You know, so if they're 18, it's going to be a little bit different than if they're 45, you know? So we don't know their age, but what I will say is that there's great data to suggest that when two people meet each other and they fall passionately in love with each other, then they want it all. They want the marriage, they want the commitment, they want it all. That's exactly what happened with my wife. Right. You, it's interesting. Your first date that, you know, uh, uh, David and Jenna, you talked about it was like seven hours, went to four different places and it was never ending. That's exactly what happened with my wife. And remember the rule that I gave with my clients and I said, just meet for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. The number one way I know they're going to work is if they break the rule and they stay together. <laughs> they're like, Forget the rule. Forget the rule. Forget it. That means you wanted to. You you had an out, right? And you and you chose to stay. So that's great. Yeah. So I'm I'm not mad at this person for talking about it, but I would hope that they date for at least two years, uh, one to two years, so that they can see each other in times of adversity. Right. That's truly when you can test your partner's character is mm-hmm. when you go through the bad times. That's the reason why the two to three years is the marker. Because at the two to three year mark, you know, unfortunately, there's, there could be a death in the family. There could be someone who's lost their job. And you get a chance to see, okay, how does my partner now show up in the tough times? I, see, I, know, how they, 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 I know how they show up at parties and, you know, when we're on vacation. For sure. But, All the good but, stuff, right? Exactly. But when things get tough, how do they show up? And that's when you can determine if they're really good for you. That's really interesting you said, though, about your wife um, and David and I, actually, because I was the same way. About six months in, I was like, when are we moving in together? And about a year in, I was like, when are we getting married? And he just, he's a man of his word. And and that's why I have to trust him. And and he did what he said. and, And on the opposite side of that spectrum... I had been in situations before where I had taken certain steps too quickly. And so, in thinking about it and looking back, I think, gosh, our first six months were extraordinary. But in the second six months, we grew a lot, right? Um, and in the third six months, right, we grew a lot. And so, there was this trajectory over time that allowed us to see each other in such a variety of contexts, including some really tough situations, uh, which was so important for us. Mm. Um, what are some of the other kind of characteristics or traits that you would prioritize when it comes to like matching people or telling, you know, giving advice on things to look for? Values is huge, you know, and I, and I think values oftentimes gets confused with interests, right? Values to me are the rules that we live by. It's how we live our life. So it's very important that, you know, you and your partner share some of the same values in priority. And that means that you'll live your life the same way. So that's one. You know, communication, clearly very important. That's two. Three is what I call no non-starters. There are certain things that negatively impact health and happiness. And if the other person has that, it's just a no-go. And then Fourth is minimal physical attraction. And I know that doesn't sound sexy, minimal physical <laughs> attraction, but- Well, that's the idea. It's not sexy, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're good, Jenna. You're good. What I, what I like to, to look at, and I know there's lots of studies that have gone either way on this, 
But I fully believe that physical attraction does grow over time, but it only grows over time if there was a place where it started. Minimal, right? There's, there's some desire there. So if there's a minimal level of physical desire, you have no non-starters, right? So that checks out. There's strong communication and you match each other's values. It's those four that I consider to be the pillars to a strong relationship. That's so interesting. And I love that there's, there's got to be a baseline, right? It can't be, I don't feel it. It's got to be, I feel something, even if it's not um, fully pronounced yet. I think that's really interesting. Yes. Well, because I think that people also, in some way, are so badly want that date to work. It's kind of like being an actor and like the casting director wants you to be the person, right? So like going on a date, you you want that to be the person, but it, it's not always is. And so to to have the kind of uh, foundation and, you know, the baseline, it's like um, you're not, again, like compromising below the level of where you, you know what I mean? Where you're supposed to be. But, but you know what, Jenna, what you said is, is, is really profound because it's just like casting, even mm-hmm. to the point where you see, you know, people show up on a date and then they begin to assume the role that they think the person they're on the date with wants, you know, oh, you, oh, so you let you, so you drink. Okay. So, oh, so let me just drink some more. Right. You begin to morph into a different person, which is why like Chris Rock, one of my favorite lines is when you go on a first date, right? You're not meeting the person. You're just meeting the representative of the person, <laughs> you know? That, so true. That's pretty much what it is. Yeah. So true. true. I like those four pillars. I'm going to write that down for my dating experiences. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and um, I, and I, oh, I loved how you <laughs> talked about the self-development work, right? The the sort of self-focus work that you do with clients beforehand because in a way it's like take all the things that you think you need to know about somebody else and cut those in half and then take the things that you think you have to know about yourself and double those, right? Being yes. really clear on your values, being really clear on your non-starters and thinking about how you get much clearer uh, on your parameters first. Yeah, for sure. Well, Paul, this this has been just so informative and incredible and you were just a joy to speak with. And our listeners are going to be so uh, thrilled to hear all the advice that you've given both David and I and them. So thank you so much. It was really nice to meet you. It's an honor. And I will say this. I truly, truly listening to you both, you two are a strong couple. There's no question about it. And I'm happy for the both of you. And I can't wait to, you know, hear about the future that you two have together. Thank you. We That's love so that. Nice. We're, we're grinning from ear to ear. Thank you so much, Paul. You're welcome. I'm adding that to the bio. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Love These Days by Pop Sugar is sponsored by Crate and Barrel Wedding Registry. Plates and bowls, bath time and candles, cocktails and movie night. Make your home undeniably yours with a Crate and Barrel Registry. Subscribe to Love These Days by Pop Sugar wherever you get your podcasts.